Welcome to episode 996 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by our Patreon supporters and the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Ben Lindberg of The Ringer, joined by Sam Miller of ESPN. Hello, Sam. Hello, Ben. And some of you may remember about two and a half years ago, episode 500, we did a draft with Jeff Sullivan and Grant Brisby, two of our favorite writers and favorite people, and it was also one of our favorite episodes, maybe my favorite episode. I don't know if it holds up, but at the time, I liked it. So we're going to sort of do that again, not for 1,000, because Jeff is about to be very far away in a place that he can't talk on podcasts, so we're going to do this now. And uh, since that episode, Sam and I have made a combined three job changes, and Jeff and Grant have made zero. You guys are constants, so you know Jeff from Fangraphs and Grant from SB Nation. Hi, Jeff and Grant. Hi. Hello. Hi. (laughs) I used to work with Grant, but then I didn't want to share an office with him anymore. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, last time we did this, you guys were feuding, and we yeah, talked about that. We had bunk desks, <laughs> like, which is, I've never even heard of that before, but it was, it was fantastic. So how have the last two and a half years been for you? Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I've watched a couple of baseball games, done some writing. Um, Giants won a World Series. Did they, I mean, it was that long ago? Yeah, I think it was, right? That was uh, pre-2014 World Series. Wow, hot damn. Yeah. All right. Well, last time we drafted baseball things, just things about baseball. We didn't get any more specific than that, and each of us took three. So we're going to do that again, unbeknownst to Sam, who found out about that five (laughs) minutes ago. So he's going to think of some things about baseball, hopefully. But uh, I went back and reviewed what we picked last time, and Sam's picks were Babe Ruth, although he spent most of the time talking about Ernie Shore in relation to Babe Ruth, (laughs) baseball radio commercials and GMs making predictions, specifically in the annual Jerry Krasnick survey. Grant's picks were the other Ryan Braun. (laughs) (laughs) uh, When baseball players get mentioned in rap or hip-hop lyrics and searching for players with dirty words in their names on Baseball Reference. My picks were Pitch FX, the fact that field dimensions are different and platoons and Jeff's picks were the rotating scoreboard faces on Petco Park's scoreboard at some time that he couldn't remember exactly when it was and player expressions, specifically Paul O'Neill's suffering after the 1995 ALDS ending and property disputes, specifically the John Olerud tree story. So I don't know who won. I like. I think the other Ryan Braun was the best pick of the draft. That's good. Probably. But where was the other Jeff D'Amico? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you brought him up last. I'm time. sure I did. Those are the two. <laughs> uh, oh no, there were the leave. two Bobby Jones, right? And they were teammates that one time for like a month. Yeah, you brought that up too. <laughs> God damn it! I, I, I just a couple of days ago, I was uh, thinking about how completely Adam Eaton, the old Adam Eaton, has been uh, forgotten about. Like, it's very rare that you have an Adam Eaton, so, one player, so swallowed up by the other one. Huh? That's just completely transcended. <laughs> yeah, Adam Eaton just owns that name now. The new Adam Eaton, that is. So last time Sam drafted first, 
he's going to go last this time. Or so not at all. Have time to think of some things. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see. Does anyone want to go first? Well, I, Jeff, I guess I'll either of you. I'll talk just because pertinent to what we were just talking about. I think people have also forgotten the other Billy Hamilton, the one who's in the Hall of Fame, literally <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. But anyway, yeah. I'm not drafting the other Billy Hamilton. I guess something I was just thinking about this morning because another one came across my Twitter feed. I guess I'll draft first the annually completely uninspiring Baltimore Orioles offseason rumor mill. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to scroll down. This is MLB trade rumors and I'm just going to read off some names that are linked uh, MLB trade rumors slash Baltimore dash Orioles. Uh, just from the top, uh, Rajay Davis. Uh-huh. Uh, they've previously been linked to Angel Pagan. That's great. Uh, scroll down. <laughs> Orioles not signing Ben Revere. That's big news. They're not signing Ben Revere. They've long coveted Boone Logan. They've long coveted. They're most likely to re-sign Pedro Alvarez. However, that might make things difficult for Trey Mancini. Uh, <laughs> after that, we've got we've got they've pulled their offer to Mark Trumbo, but they're still we know they're still going to sign Mark Trumbo. Uh, who he's a sexy name because of the home runs, but you know, unsexy player. Uh, here's a whole thing about how they might lose Manny Machado. You know, the one who's good. Uh, there's uh, there's more. There's Colby Rasmus now that he's bad. Orioles interested. I'm not making this stuff up. Orioles interested in David Hernandez, comma Vance Worley. Uh, still going. Orioles sign Chris Dickerson, Tomo Oka. Mm-hmm. Tomo Oka maybe the the most interesting one here. Craig got an article out of yeah, that. Yeah, right? that was well done. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tom Oak. I mean, that's big yeah. news. He's coming back as a knuckleballer, and he's fifty-seven years old. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> that's that's good baseball. Uh, continuing on down the list, we've got Orioles signing Wellington Castillo. Uh, right after that is a post uh, that says Orioles unlikely to sign Wellington Castillo. They uh, <laughs> they signed uh, Sean Quayle. They have expressed interest in Chris Carter, and on and on it goes. I you can look at the Orioles, and it seems like every offseason the Orioles have been a good team. Right, the last five years, they, I think they've won more games than any other team in the American League. Maybe they're second, but they've they've won a lot and they've won consistently. But their off season seems like it is designed to put their fans to sleep. And I was I was thinking like, at this point, I would not be while we're recording this right now. They could, there could be a tweet linking them to Chris Jimenez. There could be a tweet linking them to Dylan G. There could be a tweet linking them to Bobby Estelea, and I wouldn't be surprised by any single one of them just because they suck at generating interest and yet they win <laughs> so there's just so many ways in which the orioles kind of like convolute what you would expect a competitive team to do and like maintain fan interest in the winter because they just kind of talk about all this crap and then they get like 120th of the crap that they expressed interest in and then they win 85 games or 95 games and they bullpen their way into a alds loss so i don't uh i don't know exactly what they're doing but for a competitive team it's like they think they're the reds but it's uh it sucks but it's fun and that's draft pick number one can I can I jump in here? I've actually written about this phenomenon. Really? Like they do this. They do this often. I just dropped a link into uh, whatever that site Ben had us log into. Uh, <laughs> they're really, really hungry for clicks here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, so like in 2013, I went through all their transactions and this is the entire offseason for 2013. They signed Jason uh, Pretty, Pridey. They selected uh, Alexi Casilla off waivers. Oh, shit. They signed <laughs> Nate McClouth. <laughs> Uh, there was a Yam- Yamaiko Navarro trade. Uh, there was Chris wait, Dickerson wait, wait. again. Getting or not getting Yamaiko Navarro? <sighs> Yamaiko. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and then I think there was Rich Rundles. <laughs> and then there was also another Chris Dickerson. And then in 2015, there is uh, Alex Hassan, Jason Garcia. They re signed Delman Young. They sold Steve Lombardozzi. I mean, they, it's like every other year they have these just amazing off seasons. 
of absolute nothing. And like you said, they're contending. Like they're they're ostensibly in the hunt. They're not the Reds. Uh, they're 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 supposed to be building something, and it's it's uh, <laughs> utter inactivity. It's fantastic. And the fun thing is, you know, <laughs> with the way Dan Duquette loves his international markets, they've had Yamiko Navarro. They gave up Yamiko Navarro. Yamiko Navarro went to Korea and just killed it. So, do you think the Orioles might be in the market for another Yamiko Navarro reunion? <laughs> Only if he throws a uh, uh, knuckleball now. <laughs> oh, you know what? Yamiko Navarro last year fell apart in Japan. Do not make that transition. Oh man, bar. Hey, what's the time frame on that? Uh, the risk of losing Manny Machado. Uh, after I closed 2018. it. Yeah, they, okay. is, uh, two years left. That's okay. That's that's too bad. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are organizationally. Uh, I don't know the proper word for screwed, but it seems like it's screwed. Except for the part where they're perplexingly good now. But uh, you know, nothing in the farm system aside from Chance Cisco, and they have uh, they have this guy. Who's uh, who's like the best third base in baseball, second best, and uh, and they're probably going to lose him. Yeah, sometimes they make those sneaky moves at the very end of the off season, like the Nelson Cruz a few years mm-hmm. ago, and I don't know whether uh, whether Giovanni Gallardo was sneaky. I don't know whether they were hurting themselves or helping themselves, but that happened. And I guess the biggest news this off season was when Dan Duquette didn't sign Jose Batista, but had a good line <laughs> for why he wasn't signing him. So, yeah, I think this is a this is a good one, good pick. Grant, you want to go? I will go. I was actually going to pick the other Ryan Braun, and I had to sc- scuttle <laughs> that at the last second. Um, and, and, I, and one that was on my mind, and I'm not going to pick this, I'm just throwing things out there, is I was going to pick before this all started, when I'm on the radio or a podcast, and I realize at the last second that I've never said this player's name out loud, and I know oh, yeah. I'm just going to screw it up and sound like an idiot, and I just did it twice. Jason Pratty and, and Yamako, I've never said that name. Yamiko Navarro? How'd you say it, Jeff? Uh, Yamiko Navarro. I had to look up Bobby Estalea on Baseball Reference just because I didn't know if he Americanized it. I mean, you'd know you watched him, but I had to make sure before I came on the air because I had the same problem. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Um, I'm going to pick rally caps and Mm. specifically the sadness inherent in taking an upside down, (laughs) inside out baseball cap off and folding it the right way <laughs> and realizing like you just you you look like a total ass for no reason it didn't work it didn't help and you sat there in public with an inside out baseball cap tilted to the side cheering like an idiot and now you look like a bigger idiot and nothing you do works you will always fail everything in your life will be a disappointment to everyone who's ever loved you so <laughs> I, you know, it's. I guess that's like a proxy for superstition in general. Just baseball superstition. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys, uh, uh, you know, being being logic fearing individuals, if you were into superstitions at any point in your baseball loving lives. But I, I'm kind of an idiot. Like I, I do sort of engage in superstitions. You know, I, I, uh, I'll still mention no hitters when they're when they're going on. But I have been known to wear a rally cap in the past. And I've been known to turn it inside out and then right side in very sadly after my team does not come back because they rarely do. So uh, as a proxy for superstitions, I'll go with uh, ineffective rally caps. That's good. Yeah, my my only superstition is that as long as I don't favorite any of your tweets, I keep my job at Fangraphs. And so far, it's been going good four years running. (laughs) All right. For my pick, I am taking players being afraid of the elements. 
And this is uh, something that happens, I think, maybe once per season. I, I just quickly looked and I found one prominent example in each of the last several years. So, you know, baseball players, when they're on the field, they are masters of their domain. They look like they're in command. They're in charge. They are impossibly more competent than we could ever hope to be at this thing they're doing. And then suddenly there will be like lightning or thunder and a bunch of them will freak out and it'll be captured in slow motion by all the many cameras that are on the field and we can watch it forever. So I think one of my favorites is if you just look on YouTube, there's uh, an MLB video called Strike of Lightning Delays Game and it's from it's from July 2012 and uh it's just a normal generic game. It's a Rangers game in Texas, and baseball is happening. And then suddenly, just as the pitcher and the batter are prepared to do what pitchers and batters do, there's a loud peal of lightning. No, that's not right. Peal of thunder, <laughs> which uh, follows lightning. And then just everyone streaks off the field, just sprints off the field. Whoever's in the batter's box leaves immediately. The umpires don't suspend the game, as far as I can tell. The players just make a unilateral decision. I'm not going to be on this field anymore. And uh, and they leave. And there are some other really good reactions. Like there's a, an MLB.com video and maybe also a YouTube video called Thunder Scares Yanks and Socks. This is from <laughs> June of 2013. <laughs> and they're, they have the video's cameras set up in both dugouts. And so there are guys sitting there. I think this is during a rain delay because it's pouring. And then there's thunder. And these guys just act like they have never heard thunder before. I don't know whether this was unusually loud thunder, but like Brett Gardner spasms for like four full seconds. I timed it. <laughs> there are like four players like hugging each other. Like, I, I, I guess maybe it's that like they're at a public event and they're celebrities and maybe like they just assume it's a bomb. Like anything that would make that noise would be a bomb. So maybe that's it. But they look just very skittish, very afraid. There's another one on YouTube. Melky jumps back after hearing thunder. This is uh, from September of 2014. Melky's in the batter's box and there's thunder and uh, he freaks out. Maybe that was especially surprising because he's in Tropicana Field and you can't see the sky. So maybe that makes thunder more scary. I don't know. And the last and best one I found from July of 2015 is Kevin Kiermeyer gets spooked by a pigeon. <laughs> so uh, it's called Pigeon Gives Kiermeyer a Scare, if you want to look for that on MLB.com. And Kiermeyer's on first base, and a pigeon just swoops at him, and he falls back as if he has been shot, and he looks like he has had the breath taken out of him. So this is one of my favorite things about baseball. It's a complete interruption, and it shows us the humanity of these otherwise somewhat superhuman people. There's a little bit of a, like a groundhog effect where if you give them a few minutes to adjust, you'll see the players, they'll come out, they'll like play in the rain, they'll play in the tarp. Or I think my favorite one was a few years ago, many years ago, the Mariners were playing a series in Cleveland in April and it snowed all weekend. And so a game was snowed out. But then you had this, this large Latin American population of players who for the most part, many of them have never seen snow. And so they adjusted to the elements and then they got excited for the elements. And you would just see pictures on, on Twitter and posted elsewhere of them making like snow angels and building snowmen on the rail and the dugout. So they came around to the elements. It just took them a little while. No, no one likes to be startled, right? <laughs> yeah. No. 
not by at, snow. at the risk of uh, detailing exactly how out of story ideas I am. Uh, I've I actually wrote about the lightning in that Rangers <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Rangers just, game just, in 2012. <laughs> we all um, just got linked to another Grant Brisby post here. Yeah, it's just uh, wow. But the one the part. Tips. <laughs> traffic's going through the roof baby um the thing my favorite thing about that that rangers uh twins game is that ian kinsler like you see there's like a top-down view of the entire field the players and when the lightning flashes like people just go everywhere i mean they're just they're running they're ducking they're, they're hitting the deck and ian kinsler does not move like the runner on first literally like drops to the ground and does a duck and cover and Ian Kinsler doesn't do anything. It's I was amazing. Gonna, I was going to ask you, Grant, because I was, I'm watching that, and um, the pitcher is sort of still – the pitcher is pretty chill about things, and uh, the first baseman is still near the bag. And, yeah, like you say, the runner drops down, and, and like Ben said, I don't think time had been called. Uh, what would the unwritten rules have been of picking him off? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that – I think it's, it, it breaks the unwritten rule if you cause the thunder. Like if somehow you've planned that and you've figured out a way to you know make that that sort of uh, loud atomic noise, that's not that's against the rules. But if if you're just picking a guy off because he's a he's a weenie and he's doing a duck and cover, yeah, I mean, you can't can't fault a pitcher for that. I remember that time against Toronto when Alex Rodriguez simulated the sound of thunder when there was a pop up that he hit. <laughs> Uh, so I, sure, uh, good picks, guys. Uh, I, uh, uh, one of the things that, um, there was a game where the Cubs and the Indians were playing in, I think, 2015, and, and John Lester's thing was a thing by that point. It was actually kind of near the peak of its being a thing, and I, if I'm remembering this right, I think Terry Franconis had a quote about how, uh, he wasn't looking to go out and embarrass Lester, of course, they uh, he managed Lester, and I think if I recall this correctly, there was a quote uh, about you know how yeah they'd run on him, but they they weren't planning on running on him, you know, like they weren't going to try to embarrass him. And this reminded me of my favorite sacrifice bunt in history, which uh, I don't think I've ever talked about on this this show. But uh, in 1998, Mark Wollers got the yips as a pitcher. He came out basically. He came out on June 12th, walked a batter on four pitches. And then over his next nine outings, he had four and a third innings pitched and walked 16 batters. Um, and the offseason happens and, you know, he maybe gets better or maybe he doesn't get better. And the Braves uh, alternate closer, Kerry Leitenberg, gets hurt. And so uh, Wollers has a good spring training. He gets to be the closer again. He comes out in his first game of the year, walks four batters, 20 balls and 11 strikes. He blows up at the reporters after the game. So he comes back the next game and throws a pitch to the backstop in his warmups. He throws his first two pitches past the catcher. He walks the first batter on four pitches. And then Terry Francona calls a bunt. <laughs> uh, so Doug Glanville is asked to lay it down. I believe he does lay it down. Wollers then walks the next batter on four pitches. Uh, that might have been it. After that, uh, Wollers does not pitch again for the rest of the year. Um, so he throws one strike in that outing, and Doug Glanville uh, lays it down. 
<laughs> and I have, uh, I mean, this is this is either the worst bunt ever called in history by far uh, from a strategic perspective, or it is the sort of truest form of humanity we've ever seen. Like this was, <laughs> I don't think this game was, uh, yeah, the game wasn't even that close. It was a three run game. Uh, in the ninth inning, there's no reason really to even be bunting there. They were, you know, they were up three already. And I think that Terry Francona was throwing him a lifeline. And that's, you know, there's a there's a very fine line between when that becomes acceptable and when it uh, sort of chips away at the, the competition that we demand of our players and like the red assness that we demand of them. Uh, but I think this is squarely on the right side. I think Terry Francona, uh, who is... I think well-regarded as a good human demonstrated it there. I think that is one of the finest moments of humanity that the sport has ever seen. And it did not do any good at all. Woolers basically <laughs> could not grab that lifeline. Grant, you right about that? Uh, yeah, let me, I just dropped a link. Uh, did about 4,000 words on it. <laughs> all right. Good one. Good one. Especially since you had 10 minutes to prep. <laughs> Got Jeff. 10 minutes for the next one. <laughs> uh, on the clock. Okay, okay. So first pick, second round. I think there there is a, a certain phenomenon in, in sports where you have, obviously any superstar, you love to have a superstar on your favorite team instead of another team. Uh, when I think about uh, hockey in particular, there are these players who are like agitators and the name that always comes to mind is this guy, Darcy Tucker. He's just like the scrappy fighter. One of those guys you love on your team and you hate him on any other team. There's any number of these players. AJ Pierzynski would be a baseball player. Maybe you you love on your team and hate on another team or Francisco Rodriguez. I don't know. I've never had him on my team. I don't know if people like him, but he seems like a guy who's, you know, he agitates if you're playing against him. So I'm going to pick Fernando Rodney because what I think is interesting about Fernando Rodney is that he's a player that you love most when he's not on your team. Uh, because of the difficulty of watching him try to do his job, except as a person, he seems like he is delightful. He has his, uh, his very heartwarming and distinctive cap tip, which is just a, a neat little identifier. He, uh, he's, he's funny. Uh, he's, he's charming in the English that he speaks and in the Spanish. He has that jig video. You know, he's kind of weird. He had that, uh, <laughs> that jig clip that went viral last year. He, uh, he does his whole bow and arrow thing, which is just patently absurd as like a closer celebration. There are so many reasons... I think to love the idea of Fernando Rodney, except the problem is that he also has a job that's sufficiently high leverage that you'd never want to see him actually do it. So in a way, he's a little like <laughs> Munanori Kawasaki, except with him, I think that if you don't follow his team, and I don't even know if he has a team anymore, uh, you might not really be exposed to to his charms. Uh, Kawasaki is, is nice as like a non-rostered mascot, but like Rodney is a major league player, and you never want to mm-hmm. see him try to close. Uh, but if you were if you're the team playing against Fernando Rodney's team, I think that you love him then more than anyone on your own roster. <laughs> <laughs> what percentage of closers at any given time have that reputation of someone you don't want to see close? I, think, I feel like there are only like five guys that people want to see close, right. and everyone else you can find someone being like, "Oh, it's always an adventure when that guy's on absolutely." The phone. <laughs> if, if you have a whip of one you are unreliable <laughs> because fans hate a base runner and it's, it's no different from well maybe maybe it's a little different from managers where like as long as you're not talking about your manager then that's fine or like a third base coach but like yeah how many how many closers are automatic would you say you know you've got your your well i guess miller's not a closer you've got jansen you've got chapman it's been Melanson, but who knows if that's going to continue. But like, even even in the playoffs, you take a Raldis Chapman, the most dominant perning pitcher in the history of the sport, and you give him like 
one bad outing, maybe two, and all of a sudden, people just don't trust him anymore. He comes out in Game 7. Now, granted, in Game 7, he wasn't really looking very good. But how many Cubs fans were nervous when Araldus freaking Chapman came out of the bullpen for Game 7 of the World Series? There's not a single pitcher in the history of the game you would want more on the mound in that specific situation than Araldus Chapman. And yeah, I know he kind of blew it, but like the fact that it takes so little to shake your faith in someone so dominant, <laughs> being a closer looks like it sucks. And I hope that they always get paid a lot through arbitration, as broken as the system is, because they have to take so much shit from everyone. My mom used to react like that when Mariano Rivera came in. <laughs> like <laughs> Rivera would come in and she'd be like, oh, here's Mariano. And I would explain that he was like the best ever <laughs> doing this job. <laughs> and, and then she would, uh, in, in fairness, I guess, for a guy who was a legend and like, you know, the best postseason pitcher ever and all of that, he had a couple high profile failures mm -hmm. where he blew games and got his team eliminated. <laughs> and I guess she only remembered 2001 and 97 and not all the other times. So she would always <laughs> like roll her eyes when Rivera would come in. But, so yeah, there's a, I think no matter who the closer is, no matter how good he is, there's someone convinced that he's about to blow it. It sucks because they have a job where they come in and they pitch with the odds strongly in their own team's favor. And when you have the odds that are like 85 or 95%, then as a fan, you just assume the game is over. So if they get the save, it's like, well, you did what you're supposed to do. If you blow it, then that's unforgivable. If you're a starting pitcher or a hitter, you're not coming into those circumstances. So it's like, oh, the game is in question and what you do is a big deal. But if you're Rivera and you close the door and you retire three batters on a row to preserve a 4-3 win, it's like, well, yeah, but we kind of figured we were going to win before you even threw a pitch. So, hey, great going. We don't care. So it's just, it's unfair. It's unfair. It's probably unfair to Fernando Rodney too, but in fairness, he does suck to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have a short memory if you're a closer. That's what they say. All right, so I'm going to take pitchers' bodies and especially their arms when they're throwing. And uh, Grant tweeted a, a great one of, what, Alex Meyer the other day? Yeah. Of Alex Meyer's body just contorted in a highly unnatural way when he was throwing a pitch. And this is always the case. Like, we talk about pitchers with weird pitch faces and that sort of thing, but I don't know if there's a single pitcher whose arm doesn't look grotesque when you <laughs> capture him in the act of throwing a pitch. Like Randy Johnson's arm used to be particularly gross, I remember. I don't even know if there are really degrees of grossness because to throw a major league pitch, your arm has to rotate so fast that if you take a still image at the moment when it's moving the fastest, it just looks incredibly unnatural and there's just like a bundle of veins and tendons <laughs> snaking around and like things are popping out of the skin almost and it just looks horrible and so when i see one of those that is like a it's a good reminder that this is why i'm not a major league player i cannot move any part of my body that quickly probably in order to look that gross and unnatural and also that oh that's why pitchers get hurt all the time and why you can't rely on them and can't expect that they'll be good next year because they do this like a hundred times every five days or so all season I've never seen anyone look anything less than horrific in that pose. So a lot of guys will look, you know, like if you take a hitter and you pause a hitter at the moment he's making contact, it looks graceful and just, you know, so smooth and so coordinated. But a pitcher at his moment of triumph on the field just looks sickening. So I will take that. <laughs> 
Yeah, Chris Chris Sale looks like an HR Geiger sculpture. <laughs> like just like when you stop him, he's just got bones and everything splayed all over the place. So good good draft. Good good draft choice. I remember. Yeah, I remember when I was um uh, when I was a kid and I uh, would look at uh, baseball cards where the pitcher would be. Uh, right at the end of their their motion or at some point in their motion and i would try to figure out i would try to figure out how to look like that (laughs) (laughs) and it like i just couldn't do it i it's impossible to get into those positions uh on your own yeah nor would you want to (laughs) what was a i think that at the the moment of throwing or at like peak torque on your elbow i think it's compared to like holding like a 60 pound weight at the end of your arm, I think it's just, that's the, like, that's the strain that you put on your elbow and you do that a hundred times uh, in every game. And then you also have all your warm up pitches that nobody, that nobody tracks. But I, yeah. I do like, I mean, this, this kind of goes into pitch face, you know, the whole arm thing and then mm-hmm. the pitch face thing. And I think the, the best one I've ever seen was Cliff Lee. Cause everyone's so, you think pitch face and you think like R.A. Dickey and his scream, which is funny cause he doesn't throw that hard and he just looks like he's, <laughs> he's terrified, but most pitchers look like they're terrified or, or, or about the vomit on the mound, like Chris Perez, but Cliff Lee uh, would just, everything was so composed that he would just have this big old smile. He would just like look at you and he'd just grin like he was having the best time of his life. And I mean, his arm would look like crap, like any other pitchers arm, but he was, it was just charming. And I wonder if that added to his deception. <laughs> He's just beguiling hitters with his friendliness right? and, and overall charm. <laughs> All right, Sam. All right, I will pick Matt Kemp's rap album. Um, a, a while ago, maybe five, six years ago, Matt Kemp tweeted that he was in the studio working on his album. And every so often I, I look, I try to find it. I try to find any reference to it ever again. And I have not. I've not found any evidence that um, it's been released, there are lyrics anywhere, that he ever acknowledged it again. And yet, <laughs> he was in the studio. It's not like he's like thinking about going to the studio. He, he was in the studio. So he recorded, he recorded this album. And I just like to imagine how bad it must have been that... None of it was allowed to see the light of day. Like, I don't I don't get the feeling. I mean, again, he was in the studio, so he already had convinced himself that he was a good rapper, uh, worth, uh, you know, a rapper who was worth hearing by the world. Uh, and so it's, it's something in this performance, though, he heard it and it spooked him. And uh, someday, I, I feel like someday this album is, is going to get out and, and we're going to we're going to understand it. But uh, in the meantime, every time I, I see Matt Kemp. Uh, at the plate, I just know he has a secret that he is, he has he has kept an album from us, uh, and and my guess is that it is not like the uh, secret Wu Tang album uh, that is just so valuable that it can't be given over to the public. That that there is just something I don't know what he said, I don't know if it was lyrics, I don't know if it was style, I don't know if he decided that he doesn't like rap music anymore. I don't know, but it exists. Can I posit an alternate theory? Yeah, <laughs> that it was released and a pretty big success. But this is the same thing, like the Sinbad uh, Shazam movie. <laughs> I was just gonna bring that up. <laughs> yeah, where like people remember it and like, no, that existed. Like I was, I saw that movie as a kid, or I was in that movie. It launched my career, and now I don't have a career. What when you know, like I think maybe he released it. And it did very, very well. Like Rihanna was on it, and uh, it was fantastic. Should we? I remember. Should it. we? Should we all sing our favorite song from it? <laughs> What's, what's your favorite lyric from that album, Grant? 
Uh, I think it's the one where he goes hitting the balls both near and far, sticking these lyrics to you like a palm full of pine tar. <laughs> right? That's that's probably that's probably the the, the hottest. Was, was this <laughs> effectively Wild's first freestyle? <laughs> I think it was <laughs> first and probably last. Could be like a Chinese democracy sort of situation where they're just he's working on it. It's uh, it'll be back in the studio at some point. It'll be a number of different sessions and lineups, and he's still tinkering. So it might actually come out someday. What what year did you say that he uh, he was doing this? Oh. I, I can uh, I can guess I can find out an answer for you quickly enough, but uh, in the meantime I'm guessing it was like 2012. Okay, so pretty much right as Matt Kemp's career war started to go in the tank. Do you think that <laughs> the burden of the task or maybe the embarrassment is what has caused him to become so gravely slow in the outfield? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Conclusive. <laughs> Conclusive. The weirdest thing is that this whole time I've been trying to find the original tweet that I uh, that started all this, and I can't find any reference to it, or the tweet itself, or where it used to be on my tickler file of things to follow up on, and so I can't even say for sure that it ever existed, and I might have been drawing energy all these years from an imagined recording session for an album that in fact never did occur, which will only make me think about this when I look at Matt Kemp even more. <laughs> Are we, uh, wow, we're through, through two rounds already. I, I, didn't, get, I didn't get my second, you know, uh, point of order. I didn't get my second one. Oh, oh wait, what? Oh, I skipped you. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Home run reactions from pitchers, and I'm going to draft a very specific one because uh, if you're going to rank them or rate them, uh, or, or no, if, if you're going to rank them, like okay, so a guy hits a home run, pitcher turns around, that's like you know the typical, um, that's the most boring. A guy hits a home run, pitcher swears a lot, and then you know obviously is disgusted and turns around. That that's just a little bit better than that. Pitcher who points. At, at the ball as if you know to say you know you got it you got it and like that's a very famous that's like uh that is a top sort of pick that that's a very famous that's that's like the ideal but my favorite and the one i'm gonna draft are the pitchers who don't even turn around mm. they're like it is sodom and gomorrah like they can't they'll turn into a pillar of salt they just they will not turn around and look and it's it's like the the arc when they open the arc and it takes such like a stoicism and I always admire that like they don't want to see how far that ball goes because that would be part of the fun I would think of being a pitcher is if you're going to give up a home run at least you can go like wow you know I, I played a part in this magnificent ballet of physics that allowed the the baseball to be hit 500 feet good job me uh, but they don't even look and it's those pitchers, that reaction that I'm going to draft because I just, I love it. I love the commitment. Yeah. You know what I've noticed uh, uh, recently? Is, uh, I've started to notice uh, this is the pitchers who flinch, who flinch as though the ball is going to hit them, even though it's hit, you know, far off in another direction. I had never really noticed that before, but uh, there's a lot more flinching, pitcher flinching than I expected. <laughs> they don't want to die. <laughs> there's the Chris Resop that, uh, Cespedes Family Barbecue found the 
reflexive crotch grab after okay. every after every hit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I like? This is a different thing entirely, and uh, not my pick. But I like the um, I like the pitcher who walks off the mound screaming profanity after a cl- after a clean inning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Jeff. Uh, okay, so I'm sure you've this, this is episode 996, right? So I'm sure this has come up before, but I would just like to formally draft the uh, the worst hitter of all time. I'm gonna, you know, Bill Bergen. Got to draft Bill Bergen. If anybody doesn't <laughs> know Bill Bergen, so I, I sorted. I looked at every player in in baseball history that's batted at least 2,000 times. Good proxy for like regular player. Uh, Bill Bergen batted 3,200 times and change. And and by WRC Plus, which I assume the audience is familiar with, uh, the third worst hitter of all time is Rafael Belliard. Do you remember him? He's recent. He's bad. 44. WRC Plus 44. Second worst hitter of all time, Warren Spahn. You remember him. He's a pitcher. WRC Plus 42. Uh, so 42, second worst. Worst, Bill Bergen. He was a catcher, uh, not a pitcher, and his WRC Plus was 22. That is 20 points worse than Warren Spahn, uh, Bill Bergen. So... Uh, if you look at the worst individual offensive seasons of all time, uh, minimum 250 plate appearances, the uh, the worst belongs to Bill Bergen. That's a WRC plus of zero. The uh, the second worst belongs to Bill Bergen. That's a WRC plus of five. Third worst, Del Young. Not Delman Young. Might as well be. WRC plus of eight. Fourth worst, Bill Bergen. Comes in at nine. And Bill Bergen shows up again at seventh. I'm sorry. Tied for sixth. Tied for sixth. It's Jim McLeod. Uh, Bill Bergen and uh, in that year WRC plus of 17. So Bill Bergen uh, absolutely miserable. Drew Bu- Butera incidentally in 2011 had a WRC plus of uh, of 19, which is 19 points better than Bill Bergen's worst uh, when he still played often for the Dodgers. He held a record that was broken by Mark Lemke, which tells you that it was a record that lasted a while. He never got hit by a pitch in his entire career. <laughs> he did hit two home runs, both of which were inside the park, and he had a brother. A brother who was a major league catcher, Marty Bergen. Marty Bergen played at the uh, right around the turn of the previous century, or I guess now the previous previous century. Marty Bergen played for whatever BSN stands for. I'm going to guess that is the Boston Bean Eaters. There we go. Marty Bergen <laughs> played uh, between the ages of 24 and 27. He was a far better hitter than uh, than Bill Bergen. However, he uh, he suffered from severe mental illness, and when he was 27 years old, he killed his stem himself and his entire family. So the oh. Bergen chain. Not uh, including Bill. Not including uh, including Bill. He uh, he must have murdered just his his non blood family. Except I guess his uh-huh. kids would have been blood. Hey, look, we're not here to talk about Marty Bergen. What we are here to talk about is how Marty Bergen, by some measurements, was the more successful adult life than his brother Bill. Uh, it, it really kind of depends on your perspective. But Bill did go on to coach. Uh, his his major league career ended in 1911 when he had that WRC plus of zero. Uh, although his BABIP was 162, so maybe he got unlucky. I don't know. The Dodgers should have given him another chance. But he went on to play in the minors and he coached and he uh, he died much later than Marty Bergen did. And that I think he lived another 43 years. So uh, Bill Bergen, worst hitter in baseball history. He has been linked to one Fangraphs post according to his Fangraphs page. That Fangraphs <laughs> post from February 18th by Joe. Pawlikowski, 
is titled the worst hitter in baseball history. <laughs> negative 16.2 war. He is a, and, and yeah, negative 16.2 war. However, according to some baseball researchers, he's, he rates as one of the better defensive catchers of all time. So probably still a better player than Ryan Domit. <laughs> if you, okay. So Domit, according to the numbers on baseball prospectus, which is a website that you've both worked for. If you look at mm-hmm. their, uh, their total for Ryan Domit's career war equivalent, negative seven. Negative seven wins above replacement. So I guess seven full wins below replacement for Ryan Domit over the course of his career. Bill Bergen, he was uh, at about negative 16 with no defensive credit, no real defensive credit. I don't know if framing was a thing in like 1908, but if it was, there's a chance. There's a chance. (laughs) Bill Bergen was better than Ryan Domit, which this is just now a pitch framing thing, but Ryan Domit's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Grant, your turn again, I guess. I'll go on right back. Let's see. I think I'm going to draft just how good generally umpires are. Hmm. In in the grand scheme of things, they are very, very, very talented. And nobody recognizes that because they screw up occasionally because they're human. But they're generally like whenever I notice how good an umpire is, maybe it's it's making a split second decision or a call or reacting to something weird that you wouldn't have thought that there was like precedent for it, but they know the rule off the top of their head and they can, they can calm the managers down. Uh, but just in general, like you'll see a, a pitcher throw a pitch and you'll, in the upper call a strike and go, oh, come on. And then it'll like pull up the, the, the graphic, the pitch FX graphic, and it's like perfect right on the corner. And you're the idiot because you have the bad <laughs> camera and, and you're still not convinced. And you're just, no, that umpire's terrible. And you've got the laser, you know, uh, in front of you that, that's telling you, no, that was a strike. Those little glimmers of, of just how competent most umpires are. I mean, we're not talking about uh, Angel Hernandez or anything. Um, <laughs> but just umpires in general are awesome at what they do. And if you watch college, if you watch high school, I mean, especially uh, any other level, you're going to notice, you're going to notice the difference that, you know, most umpires just aren't, aren't so hot. But when you get to the majors, those guys generally are incredible and we don't notice it because that's the game and, and, you know, tough break. They make a a pretty hefty salary and they're unionized and uh, good for them. But uh, whenever I'm I'm sort of, you get a peek behind the curtain and, and realize that umpires are competent. Um, I do enjoy that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna draft that. You can just look at when they call up like AAA umpires for their like spot starts in the majors. They suck like a lot of the time. <laughs> like this dude Sean Barber. I don't want to call one guy out, but I will. His name is Sean Barber. He's a bad umpire, and they brought him up from AAA, and he calls a really bad zone. And like I think because you you don't want umpires to matter in any sport. It's not just baseball. You just assume they should all be great, and you don't give them any thought, like you're you're talking about. But like, there's umpire prospects in the minors, and then the best, the fully developed elite ones, go to the majors. And of course, they make mistakes. But it's like how people underestimate how difficult it is to be a broadcaster for a four and a half hour baseball game that is the current average. Like that is a very hard job, and it's <laughs> even like the bad announcers are incredible that they can just sit and talk for four and a half hours. It's been 47 minutes and I already hate all three of you doing this. Like, <laughs> like they have to do that all season long, all spring training. And then for a certain fraction of teams, they also, well, I guess they don't do the postseason. Maybe radio does. But yeah, I am I am with you. People get, uh, get way too mad at umpires and broadcasters not understanding that, hey, you know, you know that the favorite baseball player you love, he makes outs more than half the time unless he's Joey Votto. 
Yeah, and, and, and specifically when people get on, like as a Giants fan, I listen to a lot of Mike Krukum. People just can't stand how much he repeats himself and, and he'll sort of use the same <laughs> jokes over and over again. And as someone who like, I get defensive when people bring up like Rick Riley reusing jokes because I write, you know, I've written so much. I'm sure I've, I've written the same jokes hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, there was one time I, I described someone who was injured as having like a family of raccoons living in his knee. And it, I don't, it's a stupid like image. I don't know why. And then someone like Googled that specific <laughs> phrase, family of raccoons living in his knee. And they're like, all means, there's six of them. And I, I went back to that like six times and it was never good. And I bet they were all Roy Oswald. <laughs> So it's like when people get on when people get on broadcasters for repeating the same stuff. It's like, man, they're talking for hours. They're talking I, for like thousands of hours every year, and yeah, they're going to reuse some of the same imagery or same jokes. This so is I, this I is the talking. This is the talking that I do out loud. Maybe I podcast during the day. You know, I work from home. I live with somebody, but you know, she goes to work. We don't talk that much during the day. I have very little social time in my average week. I repeat stories constantly. When I'm talking to friends, like I swear, I'll go meet my friend Dan and he re repeats the stories too. I pick up on it when he does. I don't pick up on it when I do it. But then I think we've just been having the same conversation for like the two and a half years that we've been friends because I repeat stories <laughs> all the time and I talk maybe 15 minutes a day. <laughs> We're far exceeding your quota today. Sorry about that. I like that when you go to a, a long dead player's fangrass page, it will tell you how old he is, regardless. <laughs> I went to I went to Bill Bergen's fangrass page and he is 138 years, six months, and ten days old. Or he would be. Doesn't look a day over 132. <laughs> According to the fangrass page, he doesn't have a current contract. No, you can add one though. <laughs> All right. I am going with an obvious pick, which I think is okay, because Sam took Babe Ruth with the first ever pick in these drafts. I'm taking Trout, and I'm taking Trout just largely out of gratitude for how much content he has supplied for all four of us over the last <laughs> several years. Like if Sam wrote an article about Mike Trout, and, and then four years later, he got hired by the same company that he wrote that article about. I can only assume <laughs> yes. that that was because of that article four years earlier. And if you put all of our Mike Trout output together, how long do you think that book would be? Jeff alone has written, like, <laughs> every time Mike Trout gets better at something, which he does, like, five times a season, even though he was already the best player in baseball, Jeff has a post on it. So I think, I mean, just Jeff's writing on Trout alone would be a, a sizable, sizable collection. And, of course, he's also a, a great source of fun facts. He is the best player through his age ever, so he's a constant reminder that we are still living in extraordinary times, that things didn't used to be better in the past. We have the best baseball player perhaps ever playing right in front of us every night. Even if many of us aren't paying attention because the Angels are bad, we can always say we saw Mike Trout's peak. So we, uh, when we first did this, we had three rounds, right? Four people, three rounds? Mm -hmm. And we have four people, three rounds. You just went third? in the third round this time so we had yeah. 12 20 mike trout the 23rd pick in our <laughs> drafting he was the 25th pick so once again other people had an opportunity to draft mike trout totally knew about him just bypassed him overlooked him in favor of trying to do something clever i was about to take randall richick too <laughs> 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 but I love how boring he is as a personality. 
just so boring. Just there's never been a good interview with Mike Trout. There's never been a quotable hey, line. Thanks a Mike lot. Trout. <laughs> you know it's true. I've talked to Mike Trout. You've talked to Mike Trout. We all, we all, anyone who's talked to Mike Trout has struggled to come up with some portion of a sentence he said that was interesting. And it doesn't happen. And I don't know whether he is not an interesting person or whether he is just not choosing to share that part of himself with us. But it doesn't matter. He is the most interesting baseball player. And that is enough to make him my pick. In terms of players being afraid of the elements, his, he's most passionate about stuff that causes <laughs> baseball to not happen. Like, that's, <laughs> that's Mike Trout. He's very good at what he does, but he's like, no. Kind of like when there's a storm. I don't want a baseball anymore. I just want to talk about the storm. How frustrating must that be to be like Yunel Escobar or maybe a better example who just like busts his ass and has been caring about, about baseball for 25 years. And he's just like, yeah, I'm I'm the guy who flanks Mike Trout that nobody, nobody talks about. How, imp- uh, whatever, Cole Calhoun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam, last pick. All right, I, I am... When I was at the register, I had to do a lot of slideshows, which was a, a real bummer. But the one thing is that I uh, could sometimes just uh, identify some visual thing that, that showed up a lot and then just dump 25 of them in a slideshow. And then um, and then my boss would think I was uh, I was doing great. And so, like, uh, one time I think I did one on um, athletes standing next to uh, David Eckstein uh, and one time I did one on uh, uh, baseball players with uh, put it, use, wearing their glove as a hat uh, and 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 one that I never got to but I always wanted to and I, I sort of regret that now I, I haven't worked at a slideshow shop for a while is Phil Necro being old um, <laughs> because Phil Necro so Phil Necro played until he was 48, which uh, made him pretty old for a baseball player. But I want to, I'm going to show you guys, I'm, this is a, I'm, I'm going to just show you a, I, what I would consider a representative baseball card of Phil Necro, not even like a, a very uh, extreme one. Try that one. Hold on. <laughs> he looks at least, <laughs> at least 63. He does. And so that's not even, that's two years before he retired. Uh, I've got, I'm going to send you this one. So this one I'm sending you is 13 years before he retired. (laughs) So like that's a full career before his career ended. Like that's like there are Hall of Famers who played less time than he played after this picture was taken. Uh, And there's just so many of them. If you if you just look up like 1987, 1988 Phil Negro pictures, he just I just like that he did not he didn't fake it. He didn't bother. He was 48, looked 68 and he just embraced it. (laughs) And I don't know, not many athletes do that. Uh, Like like that. This is ridiculous. This is a um, this is clearly an old timers game picture. Uh, right. Let's see. Yeah, it's the one I was gonna send. Exactly. That is that is he's he's pitching to Yogi Berra, and there is a chain link fence twenty five feet behind the infield because they can't have a full size field for the old timers game in this picture. That's an active major leaguer with a ERA plus that was like probably like a hundred and two. The other thing about Phil Negro that uh, Phil Negro being old is 
I don't understand why knuckleballers can't do even more than they do. Like, I don't understand why knuckleballers ever retire. I don't understand why knuckleballers can't pitch every day. Like, Tim Wakefield was a knuckleballer, and in some ways that uh, that made his career unusual and interesting. But in a lot of ways, his career was just pretty normal. He he pitched a couple years beyond when he might otherwise have. Uh, but he wasn't very good when after he turned 40. He, he didn't have starts where he threw 215 pitches. He didn't start back-to-back games. And I don't understand why. I don't have an answer for that. I mean, I, I just I don't know. Like, I, I can't throw a knuckleball. I've never been able to. So I, I can't. It seems like it would hurt me. Um, just trying and, you know, uh, just going through the motions. There's got to be some resistance and some sort of... Uh, uh, wear and tear that comes from throwing even a knuckleball no, i mean but a catcher a catcher a catcher throws 180 200 times a game every day five six days a week and it can't be that much worse than a uh a catcher can it you've kind of blown my mind <laughs> i've literally never thought about that before <laughs> gotta sit down for a second <laughs> are you are you standing knuckleballers might actually be an exception to my pick from earlier about how every pitcher looks disgusting and gross when they throw because yeah i just sent you one and and i just sent you one of phil negro and it looks like he's doing tai chi on like a dewy dewy morning in the park (laughs) yeah i've been looking at like wakefield and there's one where you can see a vein but that's uh that's about it for the most part it just it looks like a normal arm. So I, I guess, well, that's I guess like R.A. Dickey's arm can't look weird because it doesn't have anything in it. Yeah, <laughs> right. The, looking at this Necro card, skin. His, his, like, his autograph looks like what a knuckleball does. <laughs> <laughs> Grant just sent a picture of Joe Patini. <laughs> I just had to drop that in. There's 1981 tops Joe Patini. That's my favorite baseball card of all time. Like, I would they, follow that they, man. Did they wear turtlenecks in their uniform that year? I, I don't know. I would follow that man anywhere. Like, I, if you ever wondered, like, how does Heaven's Gate, like, how do these Colts start up? It's because a guy looks like that, and you trust him. I've always loved listening to radio shows where the people who are talking are looking at things that I can't see as a listener. <laughs> yeah, we do that a lot. Our listeners are used to Just trust us. This let's is, go over some yeah, gifs. Just... <laughs> All right. Well, we're at just about an hour. We went an hour 17 somehow the first time, but we are more more efficient now, I guess. So, uh, yeah, we're done. We drafted some things. We still like baseball for the most part, and we found more things to, to single out. Good job, guys. Yay. <laughs> All right. You can find uh, Jeff writing at Fangraphs and at based underscore ball. You can find... Grant writing at SB Nation at the main MLB page and also at McCovey Chronicles and on Twitter at McCovey Cron. You all already know that, but just in case. And uh, that'll do it. Bye, y'all. See you. Bye. Oh, bye. Oh, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> Five listeners who have supported the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash effectively wild. Scott Andrews, Scott Powers, John Armstrong, Francisco Gomez, and John McGovern. Thank you. You can buy our book, The Only Rules It Has to Work, Our Wild Experiment Building a New Kind of Baseball Team. This is my last chance to plug it before Christmas. Go to theonlyruleisithastowork.com for more information. You can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can contact me and Sam at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. Have a wonderful weekend. If you're celebrating Christmas, have a great Christmas. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.